Chris. And I'm Jake. And we are live. Well, sort of live from uh, Beer Group. As I said last week, we're live if you're here with us. (laughs) Yeah, we're live if you're here with us right now. Yeah, so um, Beer Group is a really cool Porsche-only event here at Bauhaus Brewery. Yeah. And this is in celebration of Porsche's 70th anniversary. Right. So it's uh, Porsche's getting old. They are, but you, damn if they don't still look good. That's right. And speaking <laughs> of looking good, what have you got? Uh, what's parked oh, right next to us here? And so, I'm, just, I'm not even going to talk about any of the stuff I've done to my car. Yeah. This is so talk about serendipitous. I love that word. You've said that word like three or four times. It's perfect. It's like fate, maybe. But I had a friend text me late last night. He goes, hey, Jake, I know of a guy who's who's getting rid of a car that you might be interested in. Right. And I was like, interesting. Tell me more. He said it's a 1979-11 Tangerine. And that's basically all he knew about it. He knew it was a non-sunroof car. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was a 72. Nope, there's okay. no oil door. Yeah, I haven't even looked at it on that <laughs> side of the car yet. Um, and so I called the guy this morning and got to talking to him, and I was very interested in it. And he goes, you know, I'm actually going to be at a, a show with it tonight because I was trying to figure out a time to set up to go and look at it. And I know I had this beer group thing going on. And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to be at a show tonight. And I go, oh, beer group. Well, we're actually a sponsor of that, and yeah. we'll be there. Yeah, yeah. And so we're setting up our tent, and a car comes and parks literally right next to our tent. As we're setting up, this Tangerine Tangerine 911 backs into the spot. And I knew it had to be him. It's just so it's right opposite my car. It's right there. Yep, it's set up perfectly, really. And so. What's kind of weird is I didn't expect this car to park here, so now our table looks stupid. Well, it, now We're it's all like Kitty Wampus. And, and Kitty Wampus. We'll have to fix that. We will fix that. That doesn't need to be done right now. No, no we don't need to. recording <laughs> So. Um, anyway, so that's what's uh, that's exciting. I don't. I'm. I think I'm moving forward with it. So well, I don't want to. Tell us about the car. What's what have you found out? I mean, what from looking at it? So what? it's a it's a driving project is the way he described it. And I like that description because he drove it here. It runs and drives. Um, and it, leaks. And leaks <laughs> as uh, well it gives One, it character. Two, three, four, five spots on the ground in the last oh, half an hour. <laughs> So the car hadn't been driven for a couple of years, which is a lot of it. You know, seals and everything, gaskets will shrink and shrivel. Um, but it had a new engine, uh, 2.2, which is correct to the car, installed 15 years ago. And that was supposedly a brand new engine from Porsche. So, so how did you, so you drove the car? How would you compare the way this car drives to the way my car drives? It's obviously a similar car, different trans. So you have the 915 box, You've and this the is the 901. 901. Yep. And it's funny, I, I didn't even look because I'm used to driving your car. So I just I throw it in gear, but there's a dog leg first. Yeah, yeah. And so I start backing up, and the guy's like, oh, watch your, watch your shift box there or something like that. And I was like, oh, now I feel like an asshole. Um, so it's, it's similar to your car, of course, but not as tight. Right. So you've obviously put a lot of work in, and now much more work will be done, because I know you got your RSR suspension. Yep. So now it'll be even more uh, you know, dialed in. But um, I like how it, it is. I can enjoy it all summer if I want to, and then this winter I can go through it is probably what my plan would be. So are you going to just, you think you'll leave this motor in it, or do you think you'll do something different? I don't know. Probably, probably I'd have to see. I have no idea right now, Chris. Did I don't even know if to, I'm buying the did car. Did you have a chance to get on it? I did. And was that enough power for you? For now. For now, it is. Yeah, for now it okay. is. I love how it revs. It does. They that are great 2.2 revs. They do. And that is awesome. They do. And uh, the, the, one of the nicest things about the car is that it's uh, it's tangerine. I love that color. Which is just a great, It's a, just a 70s color. orange. And honestly, it kind of goes really well. It's a complimentary color to your 
blue. It does. They look really well apart next to each, <laughs> next to each other. Except I can't see mine right now because the way the table is, it's, yeah, too, for it's some behind reason. me. Well, but we have a perfect view of this car. We do. Um, it does have some like Pansport or Mini Light ripoff wheels, which I I, awful. I I like Pansports, but these just don't. Well, the problem work. is that the tire sizes are wrong. It's like a 205 50 15 or right. something like that. So and the, the tire e- size is totally wrong. The exhaust is wrong. It's got some weird. I don't mind. It sounds decent, but it's got a weird. That's quad like that. Head. that that looks like it would be on an old Ferrari. Exactly. That That's, looks and like. a lot of those vintage European exhausts were doing that, even if it wasn't on a Ferrari. That was and a very big, I think, 70s thing to do. Right, right. And it's got the uh, American headlights in front, which I... That would be the I first cannot, thing to go. I cannot stand. <laughs> I just can't stand it. I know. It. I agree with you there. So, so yeah, that's exciting. Um, well, you're not allowed to make this car cooler than mine. <laughs> so that's that's the law. You can't make your car cooler than mine. Oh, okay. And uh, it's just I, like how you're always right. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm glad that the propaganda machine has come full circle. It is terrible. Part of me is like, we do I this, really? Is this really what I want for the money? Because there are other things out there. But part of it too is just the opportunity has literally fallen. It's in fallen my in lap. your lap, and the price is right. So it's uh, yeah, and that's really good. But it's it's funny when we started this podcast thirty episodes together, together, uh, thirty episodes ago together. It was sure. Uh, the thing we were doing is, what could I get Jake to buy instead of a Lotus? Because you were so Lotus yeah, 30 it's, episodes it's ago. Such, it, well, honestly, it's such a similar driving experience. The Lotus is more modern and doesn't sound as good, but otherwise, like, it's... it. You mentioned it before as well that uh, the guy from Bugatti that you yeah, met with, he had the same exact um, kind of epiphany because he also was driving right. an Elise. Except he couldn't. He couldn't because he was working for, you know, you know Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Right. So he decided, well, I'm going to take an old vintage 911 because they, uh, he obviously agrees that they had a similar driving dynamic. Right. So right. Uh, that at least is still there. And truth be told, I mean, we're, because I've been spending so much time with you and I always have liked Porsches, I mean, I had a 911, right? right. Let's yeah. not forget that. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I. But the osmosis is real. It, it totally is. And what I was gonna say is now I like, if I had a Lotus, I probably, if I had no other influences, I would love a Lotus. But the fact that we're here at Porsche Groups, we're here, and there's so much of the the culture that I would be missing out on. Right. You know what I mean. Right. So, that's what I like about it, and that's why I think it would be a good choice. So, that's uh. I don't know. That's all so I have to say about that. other than the car that, that you're, uh, you're thinking about buying, what do you like here what, that you've seen? I ha- Honestly, we've been kind of running around with our heads cut off, and I was so giddy that this literally landed in our lap. I, I do have to say, you know, we interviewed Glenn episode really early Really on. early. Yeah. And actually, no, you re-released that episode. Yeah, I re-released it. It was one of the first ones. But he is uh, also Tangerine, yeah. 1971, 914, Which that he did right a six-cylinder swap. And so I'm looking well, at that. Yet. I mean, he's building the motor. Oh, yes. He's, he's working on it. I didn't know if that was in there or not. Yet. No, it's not in there yet. I suppose he's, that makes sense seeing as how he's still... Because he's also a, a, a illustrator or graphic designer, right. so he's modeling all those parts, he's which is really cool. The motor, but that makes sense that he's still modeling parts, and he couldn't do that if the engine was together. So yep. I like that. There's, of course, some new uh, GT3s, or newer, I should say. My favorite still is the 997.2 white GT3. Wonderful that, car. That uh, 311 RS brought out. That's beautiful. Well, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll try and get uh, get some people over here to do some interviews. I know I'd like. There's a couple people I'd like to talk to, so we're gonna take a break and uh, we're gonna go find some folks to talk to you about the 70th anniversary of Porsche, which is today. 
Yes, literally it is. today. It is today so is some, Friday uh, the eighth. So we're gonna try and get some get some history going and uh, talk to some folks that maybe know some history and some people that are doing some stuff that is gonna be cool in the future. Yeah, and I was gonna say you kind of have a full uh, feature segment laid out that we can tease. You're gonna have basically the history of some Porsche, of the, really the early early stuff. early stuff, and then the transition into the iconic 911. I'm Got really it. excited to look to to hear that. All so. right, guys, we'll be back. Let's uh, talk about further performance a little bit. These guys are a local Twin Cities-based automotive specialist, and they truly love European cars as they are actual enthusiasts. And that matters when you're taking your car to them, whether it's for maintenance, a full restoration, or uh, maybe a big horsepower engine build or something along that lines. These guys can take care of you. They know what they're doing. You can find them at fptuned.com. That's fp. T-U-N-E-D dot com. And as I said, these guys really have a passion for automobiles and for, uh, you know, the enthusiasm for the industry. Give them a call. Hey, guys, we are back. We have Chris Runge from uh, Runge Cars. Or do you, what do you, how do you? Uh, Runge Cars. Runge Cars, right. Cause you I don't say the carissery that I can't pronounce? No, nobody can pronounce it. So <laughs> Runge Cars. Okay, uh, Runge Cars. I like that. Um, yep. So I've kind of been following you. Since uh, since I remember seeing one of your cars at Cars and Coffee a long time ago, and I think it was the first one that you'd built, and I remember seeing that and going, "What is that thing? What's going on?" And you know, I didn't really know anything about it. And then as time time went on, I started to kind of put it all together and uh, started to really appreciate what you had been doing. Um, obviously, hand making cars, self taught. You know, you picked up the tools. Why don't you uh, give us a little bit of history of how you got started with uh, with making the cars that you do? Okay, well, um, I've, you know, like most, most car guys, I've been into cars since I could walk. Um, specifically Porsche, my first experience with the Porsche was one we stored in our barn in Minnesota. Uh, fast forward to my late teens, I was able to buy my first 911 and um, became more and more interested in, in the older cars, in the early cars. Why uh, is the that? The four-cylinder. Why? Yeah, why is that, do you I, think? You know... I think I was intrigued by the driving experience of a 911 versus a 912 versus a 356. You know, they're all a little sure. bit different, the 914s. Um, and then the design, I'm just fascinated with the Porsche design. It, it It's so sensible, but it, it's so effective, you know? Right. Um, it, it definitely that's, embodies that's that, that German efficiency, right? Yeah. It's not superfluous in any, any design or any way. Yep. And it just makes sense. It it really does. And so I think that's what intrigued me with, you know, starting with some of the newer stuff and going back. I also, um, in my mid-20s, I moved down to Florida where I was exposed to a lot more early cars. Like, we don't see a lot of the real early 356s and, and that kind of thing up here, especially right. the aluminum-bodied stuff. And down there, I got to start to see the aluminum-bodied cars at Brumos. Um, I'd go kick around their showroom and... <laughs> Um, I actually worked there for a period of time. Really? Yeah, I did. Okay. When I was a, what a were you bachelor. Doing? I was washing cars. Okay. And nobody knew me. I didn't know anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but I did actually work for Brumos for a period of time. Um, so how did you 21. how did you come upon taking your love for Porsches and especially the early stuff? How did you end up doing what you're yeah. doing now? So in 2011, I found uh, a barn find, like literally barn find 1967 912 in South Dakota. And it was a widow who had that car. And with that car came um, a ton of extra parts and tools. The tools included what you would need to form aluminum bodies. 
uh, for cars because that's what. How did her those tools end up did. there? Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, he he. Her late husband did that as a hobby, and so I made a deal with her to buy everything I could fit in my trailer, hmm. which included an English wheel and mm-hmm. and several other uh, things that you'd need to make fenders and parts for the car. Um, and I brought it back to the barn in Minnesota and set it up where you came and first visited yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I started hammering away. My first project, I decided to make a seat. Why, though? Why? I mean, getting all that stuff doesn't automatically translate to building cars. No. You know, a lot of well, people would be like, oh, what well, I got to get rid of this stuff. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, I mean, you went to look at the 912, presumably, yeah, and then I you saw the tools. So you obviously had some interest to say, okay, I want to get into this yeah, to have yeah. these tools. So I, I think the pitch line to my wife before I went there <laughs> was, we got a train going by here. Yeah, it's okay. Um, the pitch line was, I think I could build a car like the ones we saw in Florida with these tools. And that's like my dream is to build my own aluminum bodied car. Specifically, yeah. I think because um, like if you go back to when I was like 16, 17, um, I started reading Excellence Was Expected. Right. It's like the Bible of Porsche. Yeah. And I saw Walter Glockler in his handmade, hand-beaten aluminum-bodied car that predated the 550s and, and kind of predated a lot of the Porsche race cars, the factory race cars. Right. And that car just did it for me. Like, it, the design, the look of him sitting in there, like he was ready to kill all race cars. You know? So what's like, kind of the... <laughs> How does that car really tie into the history of Porsche? When, you know, because that's not a very well-known car. I don't know a lot about that car. Yeah. Wh- so Walter Glockler was a franchise VW dealer in Frankfurt, Germany in the late 1940s. Just after the war, he was rebuilding. I mean, a lot of the, the buildings were, were damaged, you know, and they were, they were kind of rebuilding, restructuring their businesses. But Walter right. went from motorcycle racing to car racing and what's interesting is a lot of people most people have never seen his very first race car which was a Hanamog powered car and and he would have what I what I understand to be C.H. Weidenhausen the coach builder build his aluminum bodies who eventually built the first 550s okay Walter's first Hanamog car looked like a pre-war car in the front, if you can imagine, like the open wheeled kind of pre-war design, sure, and a post-war car in the back with the fendered, full enclosed car, and it was fascinating. Then, after the war, his second car, which was VW powered. Hold on a second. How loud is that train? I because I I'm listening live. We're, We're good. good. We're good. Okay, I just want to okay. make sure. Go ahead. All right. So after the war, Walter took this uh, VW drivetrain. He flipped around the, the gearbox and the engine to be mid-engined. He rem- the the um, torsion tube remained at the rear of the car. Hmm. So if you can imagine with the torsion suspension at the rear of the car, when you hit the brakes, the oh, back end's up. going up in the air. Yeah, it lifts yeah. up. So this funky design that he thought was going to be really well-balanced, which was, but dangerous. The dynamics <laughs> were weird for anybody that didn't yeah. know what they were doing, I'm exactly. sure. Exactly. And this is how they built the first 550s. Walter really? Glockler hmm. really paved the way for the Porsche, in my So opinion. how did he meet, uh, like, Ferry Porsche and stuff okay. like that? How did this come together? So, this and this is how I understand it. So we, we can do some fact-checking. But what happened was he takes this VW-powered, beautiful little streamliner out and races it, and it's beating some of the early 356s, some of the Gamund-built cars. Yep. And Ferry comes to him and says, hey, 
you're in breach of your franchise contract. Huh. Let's put a Porsche in the engine in the in the car and right. put the Porsche badge on it, and you'll be good to go. So that's one way to do it. Later on, in, in like <laughs> 1950, 51, 52-ish, right in there, all of a sudden you see this car that had a big VW badge on the front with Eigenbau, okay. home, home built, hmm. now suddenly has a Porsche badge on it, <laughs> and it has a Porsche pushrod engine. Right, right. That's awesome. So uh, that was interesting that they had the the engine so far forward in the car because they didn't have back seats on some of these race cars as you would see um i know like the type 64 or whatever had the engine was pushed all the way forward and then the which made the gas tank was like in the passenger seat basically yeah which was and the designs were like totally crazy compared to any of the production cars that ever well, came down probably the good weight distribution not the safest but yeah not the <laughs> safest yeah yeah the the design i mean and even today there's a lot of experimentation that goes on but uh not anywhere near experimental back then it's like risk your life experiment so um i wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the the anniversary today which was you know 70 years ago today um the first 356 really was on the road was today 70 years ago and um erwin commenda is that how you pronounce that commenda I believe so. I believe so, too, um, is the one that kind of penned that car. He doesn't get enough credit, I don't think. You know, everybody talks about Ferdinand Porsche as the father of the 911 and stuff like that. But uh, Erwin really did do a lot of the design work for Porsche over the years until until he died. Um, I just want to go through some of this information I found on him and some of the cars that I thought were significant. And you just chime in whenever you want. Yeah. Um, from 26 to 29, Erwin worked as a car body designer in the Steyr factories. There's where, that's where he met uh, Ferry Porsche in 1929 when uh, Porsche joined Sire as a technical director. And he's the one, is the one that designed the, the, Beetle, the Beetle, basically. And uh, in 37, Porsche company regulations require that all employees must become members of the Nationalist Socialist Party. And he uh, Commenda invaded this rule and preserved his neutrality. In addition to this, he also refused to raise his hand and meet the Fuhrer and addressed him as Mr. Hitler. Wow. High-ranking Nazi officials were often outraged by his provocative behavior, and I thought maybe that was kind of like a like a little bit of a a mind's eye into the way that this guy thought. Like this designer of cars was not going to be like put, have his thumb uh, be under the thumb of the Nazi party. I thought that was a really interesting. Yeah, anecdote. that's that's awesome. You know, I never I didn't know that. That's yeah, really fascinating. and the balls it took to do that at that time. Yeah, Can you imagine? Seriously. Yeah. So he basically worked till he died. Um, he also uh, did a lot of work with the uh, five fifty spider as well. Um, so I just I wanted to touch base on him a little bit, just just to give that guy wow. a little bit of credit where it was due. Um, I want to talk a little bit as well about the Porsche 60K10, otherwise known as the Type 64. Yep. Um, it's, it, there's a few different names for this car as well. Um, when Dr. Porsche approached the DAF, which was the German labor front, with the concept of the racing version of the Type 1 Beetle, he was rebuked as it was not in the spirit of the utilitarian people's car. So basically what they wanted to do back then... Um, well, let me. I'll get to get to that. Eventually, the authorities recognized that a sports design based on the KDF would provide good publicity. Porsche was authorized to proceed with a new concept with a view uh, to running the car at the projected Berlin-Rome road race in September of '39. Obviously, a win there would be like huge propaganda for the Nazi Party. Um, KDF is the Kraft Deutsch Freud. Uh, I'm not sure exactly uh, how to pronounce that, but it stands for strength through joy, German strength through joy. So it was there um, a little bit of propaganda, but also kind of like their, their, their travel and their uh, propaganda wing of the Nazi party. Um, set up as a tool to promote the advantages of no national socialism to the people, it became the world's largest tourism operator in the 30s. I was going to say, would that be the same to like a tourism bureau today? 
Yeah, I guess so. The KDF's <laughs> most ambitious program for the German workers was set up for production of an affordable car, the KDF wagon, which obviously became the Beetle as time went on. Um, Porsche designed the Type 60 K10 on a stretched Type 1 floor pan, but with a higher horsepower VW engine with 50 horsepower, with larger valves, twin carburetors, and higher compression ratio. That's the K10 meant it was the 10th body for the Type 60 chassis. Um, the body was a huge compromise in that the, ca- the, the cab of the body, or the, the body itself, had to somewhat look like a Beetle. Because yeah. otherwise the KDF didn't want anything to do with it because the only reason they were interested in having anything to do with this race car in the first place was to be like, hey, this is a Nazi car, but it also looks like our people's car, right? Sure. So sure. it's in a way, it's almost it's almost like NASCAR. All the cars kind of look the same, <laughs> and they all kind of promote like the domestic brands and stuff like that. Yeah. I thought that was... Uh, well, that and was, it's almost like it makes me think of a lot of the marketing you have today where you have like the stripped-down basic version of... I don't know, you could maybe take some Porsche models or, or BMWs or whatever and look at them, but then it ties into the real hot rod race car. You know what I mean? Like, you right, kind of get right. that same look. So Well, especially with the 911. I mean, you can go out and buy a showroom base model 911. Yeah, you can buy like and 25 is, or 30 different versions well, of the yes, car now. But my point is, it. well, up until this year, it was basically the same as the RSR Cup cars out there. Yeah. To an extent, but closer yeah. than a lot of other cars. Definitely. So I think there's some smart marketing there too for the oh, the, for the Beetle. Like if you can make this race yeah, car yeah. look like a Beetle, we'll sell more. Right. Exactly. We'll, we'll have to post a, a link or post this image, the 60K10, because I didn't know much about this car. I've, I've seen it before, having so looking at it from the door sill up. I think it's ugly. Well, I was going to say but from it the looks door sill like down. A, it looks gorgeous. like a Beetle that's been stretched and streamlined. It and is. that is actually <laughs> what it, it totally is. is. Well, so and on a. A note on that car. A friend of mine, he doesn't get much credit. Um, his name is Dave down in, uh, I think he's in North Carolina. He took the Type 6.4 and completely did, like, two-spec, a replica of it in the last couple of years. Wow. It must be it's really hard to find the documentation incredible. for that type of thing. Oh, it, he's like, he's a... Uh, an expert on this subject, but he well, did and all I know, the aluminum bodied work. And I know that's what a lot of you've done as well, is because you're basing them on these early, you know, pre-war cars. And so you're, I know you had posted before, you study photos basically to see, yeah. you know, how are yeah, the proportions set up and everything else. So that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. During 1938, Ferry Porsche and Major Adolf Hunlin, he was the uh, in charge of the Corps Fear, the Corps leader, basically the National Socialist Motor Corps. Um, which eventually ended up being they would train tanks. Once the war came around, they would train all the tank pilots okay. and drivers. I was going to say corpse like, like dead bodies, but no, no corpse, we're talking like, yeah, yeah, corpse. The Marine um, Corps. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to do it, establish an endurance rotor, uh, motorsport event. This guy was the head of the Oberst Nationale Sport Behorde, or ONS, the organization responsible for arranging motorsport events in Germany. He was inspired, and he set into motion a plan to organize a race from Berlin to Rome, a 1,500-kilometer event that would take place in September of 1939. On September 1st of 1939, Hitler invaded Poland, and the Berlin road race would not happen again. Yeah. So that's that's basically the story of that car. And after that, obviously, then you know the 356 came along, and, the, and everything is you know a story since then. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just. What I, What were your favorite cars or inspirations from that period? You know, now we know a little bit of how you know Porsche fits into that, but they obviously weren't the only ones doing kind of these pre-war European streamliners. Yeah, yeah. So before this, the the Cisitalia car, um, what would that have been like? A type, th- is it a Type Forty Seven? Okay, I don't know the types. I'll just take your word yeah. for it. Yeah, 
I think it's a Type 47. 1947 was the year. That sure. It's an absolutely beautiful car. The Porsche obviously designed it for the Cisitalia. Um, but what is the Cisitalia? Is that a... Uh, well, it's a it's a company. Okay. They they built cars. I wonder if we can pull up a picture of that one. That's it's pretty. Neat, they were basically like a coach builder at the time, uh, or they, were they, they were an, an actual? They were yep. okay. Yeah. Shows how much I know, Chris. Yeah. So <laughs> it, I'm really lost neat. on all this old like four cylinder Porsche stuff, and I just I, I haven't well, been able to fill my brain with that. Well, that was the Type Six Four was originally designed to have. Did you see the blueprints of it? Yeah, I it was supposed to have something a like a ten cylinder. Yeah, it was supposed oh, to have a wow. V10 or something like I that. I think. Yeah, yeah. but that's they said no, that, you can't do this. It's way too far removed from a Beetle. Yeah, so, yeah. ten cylinder mid engine. Yeah, yeah, just, and then they switched it to I think it was four cylinder rear engine is right. how the car was actually built. But um, yeah, those two cars that I think there was only two of them built, if I understand correctly, right. two Type Six Fours. Otto Matthey, who had you know only one arm, he right. he bought one and raced it competitively. Uh, and the other one I think was damaged, and and I don't know if it went into storage somewhere, if it's been found, I'm not sure. Can you imagine that would be the ultimate barn find, somewhere yeah. in Germany, just opening it up an yeah. old barn and <laughs> right no out. So. Um, What's the what's the car that you brought here today? What's the what's the story? I was going to say one? I'm really curious because yeah. if you follow Chris uh, on social media, you know you teased this a little bit that you were bringing out your latest build. Yeah, I brought my my newest build is the R2, and this is the first time I've used. Uh, previous to this, I've used all four cylinder Porsche power plants and and a couple of VW uh, setups as well. But this is the first six cylinder 911 mid engine car that I've I've done and. I love the Porsche product, the Porsche engine, and and uh, I just want I want to step in just for a second. I and I remember when we were up at Brainerd, yeah, and I and I let you drive my car, and you said, "Man, I really need to build a car with a Porsche engine." <laughs> and like just like two months later, this whole concept came out, and it's got like this great engine, a flat six engine, in it, and it was just it was wonderful to see that that, yeah. that well, kind of that transition. And I will also interject. I mean, this is a deviation design-wise as well because this isn't this doesn't this isn't reminiscent of those pre-war cars. Yeah. Yeah, this or is the a post-war cars. Or post-war, yeah, yeah. excuse me. Exactly. Yeah, this was a big uh, step for me to to try to take traditional coachwork and make it as relevant as possible with a more modern design. Um you look around in the hot rod world, like the, the Porsche rat rod world or, or outlaws, and um, I don't, you know, everything's painted, first of all. Right. You don't see a lot of bare mm-hmm. aluminum cars, and that's what I build. I, I try to leave everything raw aluminum so you can see what's gone on. Well, you to, have customers that have asked you to paint the cars, right? Yeah. And yeah, my, do my you push back? cars I did paint. Um, and f- after those two, I have not painted a car. Okay. Um, I'm not completely opposed to it, but I think that... Um, by leaving the cars raw aluminum, it, it it hopefully someday down the road people can look back and kind of see the the progress, the yeah. progression of my work. Well, that's what I was going to say is that I, over the time that I've watched you get so much better. I mean, it's just it's crazy watching the progression of how you've uh, how far you've gone with these cars. It's I mean, I think oh, that's what you. what really impresses me most is is watching. Um, so I can see it in the panels, and I can see it in, in the work that you do when I come visit. I can see it in the seats. I can see it in the way that you've put the instrument cluster together. I can see it in the hinges that you build for the car. It's just all the little things that you don't even really... You, all the things you take for granted when you walk up to a car that's just built at a factory Yeah, that you've had to figure out and just do and oh, make man. and figure it out on your own. Yeah. So what, what has been your biggest challenge? Well, I will say, that's not to say that your first cars weren't amazingly impressive, as is. Oh, thank you. 
because uh, when I saw FFO one and I never even it was it was inspiring to see and know exactly like it was I was like what is that thing when it's like oh he built that away himself I'm like holy shit like are you kidding me like it's a, right and to see where you've come from there even it's just nuts what has yeah. been your biggest challenge that you've had to overcome in building these cars. Oh. Man, there's there are, there are a lot of things that are challenging in building a car. Um, specifically in the coach work, I would say a, a lot of the challenges come with my my tooling that I have. I build pretty much everything by hand. I have a couple of of bigger hammers and power tools, but making the openings for trunks, doors, lids, you know, things like that is is really challenging to get you know everybody talks about panel gap right but nobody really has a clue how hard it is to get really good panel gap very few people do especially when you're making the flanges and in the inlays so is there a lot of on and off the car over and over and over again yeah yeah okay oh yeah i would say like if i make a fender when i when i make a fender i go to the buck which is a skeleton that i fit the panels to i go to the buck Probably 20 times. Wow! Back and forth with the panel as I'm fitting it, and you just you learn to go to the buck before you make a mistake. Right. Because <laughs> if you make a mistake, it's hard to draw it back out of the panel. Has there been you know? stuff where you've have you thrown it away and just started over on anything? A couple times. Yep. Yep. Like my first car, I cut the nose off three times because the symmetry was so far off between fenders. Right. Like you make a fender and it looks really good, then you make your next fender and it doesn't look like anything like the first one. Right. You know. And when you go to weld aluminum, it heats up so much that early on it would warp on me and that right. would throw everything off. So there, there are huge challenges. So if you could go back and tell the, the, the Chris that started building these cars way back then, <laughs> what would be your biggest advice point like that you could teach yourself? Oh, man. Um, boy. I don't know. There, there's so keep many at it. Maybe things. yeah. Keep like, going. Uh, maybe good maybe things will come. You're crazy. Don't do it. I, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you just got to stick with it and um, just don't. Really, you can't give a, a crap about what anybody thinks. Right. You really can't because if you're going to straight stay true, to, I mean, you you take certain feedback and and you you find out what's constructive and what you can actually use. Sure. But you. I think when people like when you look at great people in history, they've they've kind of thrown aside everyone else's opinions and just gone after something. And right. that's kind of something I've learned to do a little bit. But right. I still take a lot of feedback from people I found out that really care about what I'm doing and, and have you know Well yeah. anytime you do anything with Porsche, everybody's gonna have an opinion. Oh everybody's gosh. gonna have an opinion because it's such a cherished brand. So when you start doing stuff in this world, there's going to be people that don't think you're doing it right, or yeah. and well, especially now with the advent of the internet as well. Yeah, Everything's broadcasted. Yeah. yeah, everybody becomes a super a critic power, yep. yeah, behind exactly. a computer screen. So, well, you're doing something topic, right though. because um, I don't know if we can tease if it I if it's out. I haven't watched it, but you were on Jay Leno's Garage. Yes, and yep. yeah, so, that's, it's been out on YouTube, and then there's another uh, episode coming, right? Yeah, in uh, later this month. Oh, really? Actually. Great. Yep. So yeah. if you go on uh, go on YouTube and type in Jay Leno, Jay Leno and Chris Rungi, you'll you'll find it. it's actually a really great episode. And uh, what was the what was he really impressed with? I remember there was something that he was really impressed with with the car when he drove it. Um, with on the YouTube video, I think Jay was pretty impressed with the gullwing and, and the body panels, the welds, and and the makeup of the the body panels. He was also impressed. We did. I don't know if it actually showed on the. Um, uh, YouTube video, but some of the stuff we talked about in the car, he was really impressed with the shifting. I, I built that transmission in that car. Hmm, sure. Um, 
and for the engine being literally like it was hot rotted in 1963 it was it was fully like customized you know corvair pistons and right. cylinders he thought oh, that wow. was pretty cool he actually what was so neat that night after we we filmed the show and we got back to his shop it was getting dark out we were packing up the trailer and jay pulls up next to my trailer in his corvair and he says, "Hey, Chris, it's the American Hot Rod, in, or the American, uh, the American Porsche. That's yeah. what he says." Yeah. And he pulls off it. It was, yeah, was it great. was pretty cool. And he would th- I remember that you said that the crew was really impressed by how well the car did in the hot weather, just being driven all day long. Yeah, like it did really, yeah. really a well. A lot of a lot of people is, commented on that. I mean, that's really for something that you built yourself. And I mean, there's a lot of cars that. You know, you see when like Jerry Seinfeld goes out on comedian cars getting coffee, the cars are breaking down all the time. <laughs> yeah, they run right. The carburetors are junk, but your car did did uh, really really well. So, it did. Um, yep. So I want to have you back on the podcast at some point here to talk about this car, probably when it's done. Yeah, and we'll have you back on in uh, in a more official, uh, structured way. I was going to uh, say I have many more questions for yeah. you, and I know there's a lot we can talk about and really dive deep. Awesome. Um, but we'll for now, to, this we'll has been awesome. Having you yeah. be kind of our our subject matter expert <laughs> yeah. for for this segment. So. We really cool. appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for coming thank on. Thank you guys. Thank you, Chris. All right. All right. Before we get too much further, I want to make sure that we talk about South Central Imports with all these cool cars we're seeing out here today. Some people need to make sure that they are maintained and in top condition. South Central Imports has been in business since 1976, so you know that they can be trusted and have the experience to get the job done. Their exclusive Volkswagen Audi shop right here in Twin Cities. And as I say every week, most of all, they have the integrity and honesty so that you can trust them to get the job done and get the job done well. Uh, You can find them on Facebook at SCI Performance or give them a call right now at 612-722-8897. In the interim of having Christopher Rungi on <laughs> and now, yes. a, a few developments have occurred. Have they? Yes, I think they have. Okay. So in between then and now, your wife has shown up. Mm-hmm. That's and you've true. shown her the, the Tangerine 1970 yes. 911T, right. which is super rad. It is very, that's a good word for it too, because it's a period correct word. It is rad. No, that's not a period correct word. What rad would, is 80s, it would be isn't 70 it? would be, that car is groovy. Oh, okay. That's even better. That's a groovy car. Red would be like an 80s car. Yeah, good point. So uh, what does she think of the car? What's the story here? She's skeptical, but I think we're moving forward Is it like a trust but verify kind of thing? Yes. That's a good way of putting it. (laughs) She goes, yeah, no. I think we're moving forward with it. So we'll, we'll... I'll tell you next week for sure because I don't want to. Because you're going to go check it out on the hoist on Sunday. Exactly. Which will probably be fine. I, I a, don't expect to see anything. I have a small head and I shoved my head under there and I looked under where the. Just like where the latch panel is on the door. Yeah. That's a really problem area. Okay. The he said pans. there wasn't any rust. The floor pans have been replaced. Okay. Well, that's fine. Right. It looked fine. So he was just told me that. So, so I'm not expecting to see anything. But is, uh, I also just want to talk to him about it, not. In, in this car show, yeah. yeah, that's that's a great idea. So, so you also took her for a ride in my car. I did. And how did that go? She goes, "This sounds much better." <laughs> that was the the primary comment. Was this sounds so much better? Yeah. And I was like, "Well, exhaust on that one and a tune up would do well." Yeah, it would. It really would. And I do have to research if that nine hundred one trans is synchroed on first gear. Yeah, I don't remember if, if it is not, or not. It needs a little work, but. 
We it's can a, always. You're um, eventually. I want you to just take that engine out. I know because it's not the original engine for the car, which so means it doesn't it has, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It has no purpose in that car. Well, it's not a numbers matching engine, so it doesn't matter. It's not going to ruin the value or anything. Exactly. Well, this isn't a concourse have, car. Hot rods have maintained a lot more value than they than they used to. Right. So, so it's it was, not ruining. It was them. almost like oh, hot rod. Eh, it's not worth as much money. Right. But now the hot rods are actually bringing money because as as you drive that car and you drive my car, mm-hmm. my car's a lot more fun. Yes, I mean, no, it is. More power. It's more tight. It's more refined yeah, in a okay. way. Well, right. just because this car, truth be told, it's been sitting for two years, right? right. So there it are things that have worn and, and everything it else. Up nice. but, but I mean, I've got a roll cage in there. It's a lot stiffer. I got a front right. tie bar. I've got That's 120 true. more horsepower. Yes, <laughs> you know, which is which is quite a bit. Um, but it's just it's it's nice to know that you can do whatever you want to the car. You can exactly. take it in whatever direction you want. Exactly. You don't have you don't have to feel like a steward. Of that car, exactly. You and can do whatever you want. What I, yeah, I was kind of concerned about that because I also had visions of like, a this would be an amazing deal if it was just like completely pristine numbers matching everything. Right. But at the same time, I was a little disappointed at that just because then I'd feel bad modifying it. Correct. But no, I think it's I think it's a good. It's very good. I got buy in, so we're probably gonna move forward here. All right. So what a motor are we swapping in there this winter? Uh, yeah, this winter we'll we'll talk. I guess this is great. This is gonna be a nice little project for me to like live vicariously through building another 911 cuz I don't have that much to do on my car anymore so I just do little things. Yeah, so it's I do, nice to see. I do still want to finish off uh the birthday shack shed so that I can oh, move God. all this stuff. Why are we talking about the birthday no, shack? No, because I my whole point of this is I'm going to have a, a lift. Oh, you'll have more space and more okay. space to work okay. on it this winter. So, right on. Yeah. That's uh that's what's going on. You know, we we talked a lot about uh with Christopher Runge the the history of Porsche, the early cars and everything up until the 911. Chris, you have a really nice piece. I don't know if you want to read this today, a transition. Yeah, I can kind of read through that a little bit. I don't have it here. so it's Let me be... get it for you. Pause. Right, so this is Pause. That's a voicemail. That's not really going to work. Pause. We'll be right back, and uh, I'll come back with uh, so kind of a piece that talks about the transition from the 356 to the 911 and kind of what happened in America in that period of what kind of solidified the 911 as one of the uh, the iconic sports cars, and which really led up to the importance that it has today. Through there, I want to make sure I give a shout out to one of our great sponsors, Luther Westside Volkswagen. As we know, they are the number one Volkswagen dealer in the country, right here in Minneapolis. Uh, they also have the largest selection of Volkswagens or used European cars in the Twin Cities. Um, you guys need to go check them out. You know, Chris has his favorite. Uh, sales associate over there and make sure you can find yours um you can find them at westsidevolkswagen.com uh otherwise you can find them on facebook or anywhere else be sure to give those guys a shout out if you are in the market so with the porsche heritage eventually um you know we talked about with christopher rungi about kind of the the post-war stuff right. um and then the 60s were okay i mean they that's when the 911 came here and it was a great success journalists love it Absolutely. i mean they said it was legendary and that it was uh the best porsche ever made and they were right i mean they didn't know what it was going to be right they didn't know what it was going to become but they weren't wrong um and i just want to read just the last bit of this article uh that talks kind of what happened as as time went on in the 70s and 80s okay. a little bit um in 1974, uh, 1974 brought forth the 911 that would define po- the Porsche until, 19, until the 964. Lawmakers in the United States had put forth new crash and safety standards, and the Porsche was forced to acquiesce. Look of the new cars was stark in contrast to the early models with the long hood. Impact bumpers stood out front and rear, and USDOT mandated seal beam headlights now marred the face. That's sugar scoop headlights. 
is what they're talking about there. That's what's on the card. I know. They're awful. They're they just, are. They're just, they're I just know. bad. Um, Porsche enthusiasts either loved the new look or were forced to accept it. Who loved them? I, I, <laughs> uh, I think they I think it, we're talking about kind of the overall, the impact bumper look yeah, okay. of the cars. Yeah. Which was, I mean, you I, had They to did have, look modern, I guess, at the time, maybe, because that was yeah, contemporary. Yeah, with the little accordion things on exactly. the side with the, with the rub strip. Um, the only thing that I don't like is that the rear overriders on the American cars are huge. Yeah. And on the, uh, on the, on the European cars are It's small. like you're a tugboat and you just yeah, have the big tires they're, they're out front. that way. Porsche's recent and ongoing motorsport victories and growing market share ensured a place for the 911 in the 1970s. However, the early 80s brought a struggle within Porsche. The 911 was to be eventually phased out for the 928 and 944. It would be fitting that an American would save the 911, ensuring the Porsche would go on to see a resurgence in the American market. Peter Schutz sat as CEO of Porsche from 81 to 87. Schutz saw a graph on the wall depicting the model growth of all three cars. The 928 and the 944 continued on while the 911 stopped entirely in 1981. Schutz grabbed a pen and drew a line off the chart and onto the wall and out the door, cementing the 911's future as the core of the Porsche brand. I love that story and that visual. Yeah, I just I imagine him just like walking a red marker like out the door as he and left. And just saying, like, yeah, Shut the screw you. Off, you know, yeah, just, this, we're not going to end this because this is our iconic model. And I, it's hard to imagine, thinking back now in hindsight, a time when they thought, all right, the 911 isn't going to do well. We need to stick with it's these water the technology cars. was, they were... They knew the technology was running its course. Right? Yeah. The air-cooled technology. True. Eventually, they knew that with emissions and power requirements that they were going to have to do something else. Yeah. I mean, it didn't happen for another 15, 16, whatever years from then, but it did happen. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what they were trying to... They were trying to have, like, a cushion with the 944 being successful and then phasing out the 911, rather than there being, like, a hard break of, uh, of the car just disappearing. Right. So. No, that makes sense. Well, that is an awesome story and an awesome little history that we had, and it's so fitting for the 70th anniversary that we are here celebrating, and thank goodness that the 911 has lived on, Yeah, because it is so iconic and such a celebrated car. And I would like to celebrate your wife, who just walked up and brought me a water, and uh, I would also like to celebrate her for you know being involved in getting you this car. So that's that's wonderful. She's blowing me kisses. Was that a kiss for me? She's blowing me kisses. That's wonderful. On that note, guys, with uh, kisses being blown, I think that's about as good as it's going to get. Absolutely. I will. Uh, uh, I'll talk to you guys later. And uh, hey, so uh, will I. Yeah, Jake will too. <laughs> Bye, guys. All right, take care.